is that my success is not the product of being some really smart guy. You don't have to be 140 IQ to be successful. It's focus and execution, focus and execution. Steve Jobs, before he died, he was asked, to what do you attribute the success of Apple computers? He said, focus and simplicity. Everybody's capable of focus and simplicity. Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is Building Great Sales Teams. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. I've got Weldon Long today, New York Times bestselling author. His book, The Power of Consistency, Prosperity Mindset Training for the Sales and business professionals. He's a Fortune 50 keynote speaker, a sales expert. He's also president of It's Up To You Media, Peak Home Performance, and Inc. Magazine recognized his business as one of the fastest growing businesses in the nation. Some of his current clients include Comcast, Home Depot, and FedEx. Welcome. Welcome to the show, brother. Thanks, Doug, man. I'm really excited to be here. Nice to chat with you. Awesome. Uh, It's an honor having you on. And I know you've got this amazing story. I did a little research and I heard like the first part of it, you know. And so I would love for, you know, you can just do the the paraphrase version. I would love for my listeners to hear that. Yeah. So uh, you kind of gave the happy ending part of that story. (laughs) The New York Times bestseller in the businesses and the success. But the first half of my life was pretty rough. I spent 25 years of my life broke and homeless. I spent 13 years in the state of Colorado in the federal penitentiary system. Um, dropped out of high school in ninth grade, was just a real knucklehead. When I was 23 years old, I pulled a gun on a guy, uh, ended up getting sentenced to prison for 10 years, did about four and a half years and got out and uh, got out the first time when I was 27. And you know, it was a ninth grade high school dropout. Now I'm a convicted felon and just started the process of defining myself as a loser. Went back to prison 18 months later, got out again at 30 years old, hadn't learned anything, uh, just to find myself as a loser. Went back to prison again, this time for seven years in the federal system. But it was during those last seven years that, you know, I kind of had that moment of clarity. Walked out of federal prison in January of 2003 to a homeless shelter here in Colorado Springs where I live. Uh, But within five years, I'd built that Inc. 5000 company referenced. I'd written my first book. And, you know, my life was like on this uh, rocket ship trajectory. It all changed very, very quickly because of, you know, a couple of simple things that I changed that last time I was in prison. So coming out of prison and then one, how did you how did you go from being a convicted felon to starting your own business? What what were the influences around that time that said, hey, I need to start my own business other than it's hard to get a job? (laughs) Amen. Uh, Yeah. So, you know, uh, when I was in prison that last time, my father died and that was kind of the moment of clarity for me. And I started studying. I I stumbled into the idea of uh, what I now refer to as the prosperity mindset. People call it a lot of different things, the millionaire mindset, whatever. But it changed my mindset. It's a mindset around overcoming adversity, personal responsibility, et cetera. So even while I was in prison, I started studying. I got a GED. I was able to get some education through a school in California, through correspondence. So by the time I walked out of prison in January of 2003, uh, I was 39 years old and I was living in a shelter. (laughs) I was a three-time convicted felon, but man, I was a man on a mission. And so I went out there pounding the pavement, trying to find a job. I had a a son that was three years old. I had fathered 
Uh, he was three years old when my dad died in 96. By the time I got out, he was 10 years old. I had fathered him when I was out on parole on a previous trip out on parole. But my my objective was to get a job, get a place to live, and get him. And so I started pounding the pavement. And like you said, it's tough to get a job when you're a three-time loser, 39 years old, no practical experience, right? no, 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 no nothing, no history, no track record. But I finally got a job, ironically, selling heating and air conditioning systems for a small heating and air conditioning company. And the one thing I was good at is meeting people and building relationships and getting to know people. I've always been really good at that. Even when I was a kid and even in prison my whole life, I've always been good at that part. And as it turned out in sales, that's like the most important thing, right? You got to be good at building relationships. So son of a bitch, you know, here I was fell into something I was good at and I, I killed it, man. For about a year I was rocking and rolling. And then uh, I worked briefly for another company as a sales manager, another HVAC company. And then I'm like, man, if these guys, if these guys can do it, I can do this. I didn't know anything about the mechanical side, but I knew the sales and marketing side. I figured that part out real quick. So I opened my own company. I hired an operations manager to run all the technical stuff and the mechanical stuff. And we grew that company from zero to $20 million in five years. Um, in 2010, I sold that company and started writing books and speaking and traveling and doing the stuff that I do now. Ironically, I'm back in the heating and air conditioning business now okay. because uh, so many of my clients were having so much success and selling their companies to private equity groups because the private equity groups realized that these small service companies are really good investments. Mm-hmm. Even during COVID, you know, we were like essential services. And so a lot of my clients all of a sudden started selling. So I'm like, I better get back on the contracting side. So three years ago, I opened another HVAC company. This is our third year. We'll do about $9 million this year. And we should have it to about $15 million in two more years. And then we're going to roll that and, and sell that as well. Beautiful. So you're just, yeah. you, you've got the model down now when it comes to it's, heating and air conditioning. But it, honestly, that's probably most home-based or home service businesses, it, period. It is. It is. I, I, I've got a new product we're releasing in the first of the year called the Profit Paradigm. And it's business development for small residential services, window company, siding, landscape, anybody that does business in, in residential you know, space with the homeowner, mm-hmm. right? Cause it, but, but the model is almost identical. It doesn't matter what you're selling window siding, HVAC doesn't matter. The process is the same. And so, yeah, we have figured out that model, you know, in terms of um, you know, how to, how to build that business. I saw, I just froze there. I hope it doesn't screw up the broadcast too much. No, you're good. I mean, it's mainly on the podcast side and we cut stuff up for content, but it's, it's no big deal. Okay. Um, so, Coming, you know, you had that time in prison to basically study up. And then obviously you were influenced to get your shit together when you got out, right? Yeah. And so you were hyper-focused. You know, you had a, a game plan. And so I know that's something that in your content you talk about a lot, like the, the power of focus. What yeah. are some of the strategies you recommend to stay focused like that other than, you know, going to prison yeah. for a third of your life? Let's, yeah. let's not yeah. let's skip that I'm not going <laughs> That's what people tell me if I'm ever worried about competition. I'm like, I'm not worried about competition in my space because they got to throw their shit away for 25 years to have, have my story. And that's the basics, yeah. uh, the foundation of my business to overcoming adversity. No, focus is such a huge thing. Uh, James Allen, 150 years ago, said dispersion is weakness and concentration is power. And I've really found that to be true. Uh, the key is, as you just mentioned, like, how do you do it? Because there's a lot of distractions out there, right? And so you've got these business objectives you're trying to achieve, and uh, you've got all these distractions with, you know, personal things or whatever. And the key is conditioning the, the, the brain, the subconscious and the conscious brain to stay focused on a handful of objectives. And, and we teach a process 
that's based on the acronym of FEAR, Focus, Emotional Commitment, Action, Responsibility. And it's, it's just a matter really of getting clarity on exactly what you want your business outcomes to be. By the way, this works in personal stuff too, mm-hmm. but I, I focus up primarily on business and sales. You know, what's the desired outcome? And then what one or two things, if I did every single day, would move me towards that that desired outcome. Not a hundred things, just one or two or three, right? Lao said a thousand mile journey begins with a single step, right? It's about taking those simple steps every single day. Then we write that down and I teach what's called a, a quiet time ritual. It's a daily ritual where you review this outline of your all your key major objectives. There's kind of three main areas of your life, your money, your relationships, and your health. What do you want in those three areas? And it's a daily review. And what that daily review does it kind of puts it all what I call the box up here, you know, where you, your brain, your head, and you've got all this information in your box, right, that you've accumulated over the course of your life. A lot of it is bullshit. A lot of it is limiting beliefs that we picked up when we were little, you know, other things people said and did when we were little. So you start getting this belief system, and sometimes it's not consistent with what you want today. My dad, for example, used to tell me rich people were crooks. Well, that was not conducive and consistent with me becoming a wealthy person. So I had this what I call junk in the trunk, basically head trash. And you have to displace that with more positive outcomes, with, with, with uh, uh, a focus and emotional commitment to the things that you really want today. And you basically put that in your box every day through daily repetition and review. You know, Napoleon Hill talked about this 100 years ago in Think and Grow Rich. You have to imagine yourself already in possession of the outcomes. And you visualize that. And what happens is that daily reminder, it starts driving behaviors and decisions that are consistent with everything on that plan. If you start driving those daily behaviors, those two or three things that you identify, you're going to get the desired result. It's just a matter of staying focused, you know, and, and staying away from the scatterbrain distraction thinking. Again, dispersion is weakness. Concentration is power. And that's the key. I've got 103 IQ. And people always laugh about that. Like it can't be true. You write books, you do this, you do that. And the reality is I've had it tested three times. Right. Every time you go to prison, they put you through a series of tests. And one of those is an IQ test because they can't believe how stupid you are for coming back. But every time I tested out 103 and my wife tells me I should go get it tested again now at this stage of my life. But I'm like, that's my whole shtick right there. Right. Like being the dumbest guy in the room is kind of my thing. So I don't want it to score any higher. But my point is, is that my success is not the product of being some really smart guy. You don't have to be 140 IQ to be successful. It's focus and execution, focus and execution. Steve Jobs. Before he died, he was asked, to what do you attribute the success of Apple computers? He said, focus and simplicity. Everybody's capable of focus and simplicity. I mean, what if Stephen Jobs had said, oh, well, you have, a, you have to have 165 IQ and you got to have access to a billion dollars in capital. Well, we'd all be screwed, right? We'd all be jacked because who's got 165 IQ and a billion dollars? But focus and simplicity, hell, even a dumbass like me can do that. And that's the key. Thankfully, that's the key, the simple things. I love your ability, and and that's probably part of it, right? Your ability to take what somebody with 140 IQ would basically overcomplicate, and you simplify it down to something that you can execute on, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. the communication there is huge for you to be able to do that. And and I, and I will say, I, I call BS on the 103. I do. <laughs> <Tell you that. laughs> I've got, if I've you got can the... string together that many amazing <laughs> points of value, that quickly. That, that's what I thought coming on. I was like, man, I'm going to have a hard time keeping up with this guy because I watched a few of your videos and just oh, the energy geez. is through the roof, man. I love oh, it. Oh, man. It's, it, it's focus and simplicity. But but you're right about one thing. That is, you know, everybody's got a, one or two things they're really good at. And and, and my one of mine is communication, 
right? I can tell stories. And, but the other one is distilling the complex down to the, the simple. And I think part of that comes from my need to do that. When I started studying the neurology behind all this stuff, it's pretty complex. And like, I will have to read a sentence sometimes, you know, or a paragraph a couple of times, three times maybe to understand it, but eventually I will. And then I distill it down to, to really the, the basics because that's how I can remember it. Uh, I remember when The Power of Consistency came out, which was my second book. Uh, I got a call from a guy named Ed Nottingham. And Ed Nottingham is a legit smart dude. He's a PhD, a clinical psychologist. He's written books on mindset. And he, does, uh, he works for FedEx. That's how FedEx became a client. And uh, he calls me up. The book had just hit number five on the New York Times bestsellers list and number two on the Wall Street Journal bestsellers list. So he gets in touch with me. We get on the phone. And this guy says to me, he says, Mr. Long, I got to tell you, this power of consistency, this model that you lay out, like it's the simplest explanation of, you know, the, the science behind decision making and the principles that are the underpinnings of rationally motive behavior therapy I've ever had in my life. And I'm like, there's a name for this shit. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just simple common sense. And I use examples that everybody, like we talk about, you know, the limiting beliefs. I'll just ask people, have you ever had your mom's voice or your dad's voice come out of your body? That's their junk coming out of your trunk. That's their beliefs, their way of raising kids, their way of whatever doing that went inside your head. Now it's coming back out. Well, that happens according to neuroscientists 30,000 times a day. The question is, what's in your box? Is it some bullshit somebody else put in there 40 years ago? Or is it what you put in there this morning? And it's an important question because whatever's in there is coming out. And as Emerson said, you know, we become what we think about all day long. So it's, it's what I say, it's important. You got to think about what you think about before you think about it, because those thoughts are going to, are going to really have an impact on your life. Proactive, proactive thinking. You know, part of my, yeah. my morning ritual before I go work out is that five to 10 minutes of prayer and meditation. And I, I don't know what it's going exactly. to turn into. Sometimes it turns into prayer. Sometimes it turns into meditation. And then, so I basically, in 10 minutes, I built out my dream home on my 100-acre ranch. Yeah. Like, I, it's dude, in my that's, head now. It's there. Dude, it's, it's just a matter of time before it manifests, dude. You know, uh, the secret was a big thing, you know, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, whatever it was. I remember. And, and I believe in that a lot, you know, that visualization and law of attraction, all that stuff. But there is a big component of action, right? Will Rogers said that even if you're on the right path, you'll get run over if you just sit there, right? You got to take consistent action. Yeah. So as long as you're putting action together with that dream of that ranch, dude, it's like, I can't wait to see it because I know it'll happen. 100%. I love it. A lot to unpack from there, but we only have so much time on the show. So I want to get on to the next piece. Yep. So, on, you know, more of a tactical aspect, I guess, zero to 20 million in five years. Um, I was originally going to ask what company it was, but it was obviously the HVAC company. Yep. How do you think you were able to set that up for sale? Because a, a lot of people do those kinds of numbers, but if you take them out of the business, it's over. The business falls apart. So how, yeah. how are you able to basically take yourself out of the business and sell it without being yep. in it? That's, that's a really great point. And uh, it really does, does come down to building out a middle management team, right? Uh, investors, when they come in, obviously they're looking at profitability because they're buying, you know, they're looking for a return on their investment, but obviously they're not going to come in and buy the company or run the company. And, and typically in a situation like that, an owner might stay on for a year or so, but investors know that when you get a bunch of money, you're going to lose interest real quick and you're going to gain interest in other things. Right. And it may not necessarily be their business. That power of focus is gone. <laughs> exactly. It is. Well, and I'll, I'll give you an example. I've got a friend of mine, wonderful lady. She built a beautiful company over 40 years in, in Southern California. 
and investors came in and she was paid $62 million for this company. And the contract called for her to stay on, I think, 12 months or maybe 24 months and helping the transition. Within three months, I mean, she just like she she was focused on all this other stuff she wanted to do, you know, and that she had all this money. So building the management, the middle management team is really, really important. And that's really all about, uh, you know, organizing your business and systematizing your business. You've got to organize your business around systems and processes, not people. Most small businesses, they're started by somebody who is good at heating and air conditioning, let's say. They work for the company and they're really good at that. And so they start their own company and they're the salesperson, the installation guy, the service guy, the phone answering guy. They're doing, they're, they're doing everything. And they happen to be a rock star because they were smart enough or had the desire to go out and open their own business. And they might get lucky because they had some other guy they worked with at the former company. He came to work. So now you got two rock stars and things are going pretty well. But you're not going to find 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 rock stars. You're going to find 20, 30, 40, 50 mediocre performers. And you have to have a process that they can follow. And that requires documenting your processes, flow charting it out, writing it out. And, you know, documenting, this is the process. I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, a lot of the success I've had in the sales arena is because I produced a sales system for my company initially, and I sold that to thousands of companies and taught them how to use it. It's a simple residential sales uh, model. So in this heating and air conditioning company I have today, this summer, I bought a new car for my speaking manager as a bonus for last year. And uh, she ordered it last year. It finally came in this summer. And the young man that was the salesperson was just like, I'm like, this dude is really, really sharp, right? I said, hey, you want to come sell heating and air conditioning systems? Because I don't know the first thing about it. And I said, dude, I've been doing it 20 years and I can barely turn on a thermostat. This is not about <laughs> being a mechanical genius. You got to learn how to be able to size a system properly and calculate combustion air and make sure you don't kill somebody. But it's all pretty simple stuff. There's formulas for this stuff. So he comes on board. I put him in front of uh, a video-based training system I have for this particular sales process for two days. Uh, the operations manager threw him out in the field with some installers for three days, and he came in his first week and started running leads and sold $49,000 his, his very first week in doing this and sold $149,000 his first month, right? And I talked to guys that they're, they, they're, they're, you know, for 15 years are trying to train salespeople and trying to find salespeople mm -hmm. because they're looking for, they're looking for unicorns. Yeah. The key is you have to organize when we work with a small company in the profit paradigm. First thing we do is force them to do an organization chart. It's something as simple as an organization chart. We just had a bunch of companies here in Colorado for a, a three-day mastermind. Some of these companies were 25 years old and they did not have an organization chart. Right. And they're small companies or two million dollar companies. Right. There's eight, 10 people. It'd be so easy. And they just never got around to doing it. So the first thing we do is do it. And so we did it in about an hour. You know, you waited 20 years to do what takes an hour. But now you have exactly what your company looks like. And I'm like, do you have chaos in your business? Like when this guy down here right now, when he's not coming in or he's got a question, he doesn't know who to call. Sometimes he calls this guy. So, yeah, that happens all the time. Well, now he doesn't have to because he could just see who he's supposed to call in that chart. It's little things like that just to have the, the, the basics, the, the basic, you know, getting rid of this, the insanity and the chaos. And then we go to their financial statements. We departmentalize their financial statements. They're like, well, I, I'm like, how many sources of income do you have in your business? Oh, just one. We're heating and air conditioning. Oh, really? Well, you got maintenance. You got demand service. You have installed. You have sales. And next thing you know, they got eight or 10 departments. We have to organize your financial statements by all departments. So you can see how every department's performing. Yeah. And then we take their entire uh, customer contact from the time the customer calls until it's a su successful deal. 
every touch point has to be documented, documented and written out. So, so a Martian could come in and say, oh, here's how we, here's how we take care of a customer. It's little things like that. But people, they don't do it. They get caught up in the firefighting. They get caught up in the whirlwind. And they spend all their time firefighting. And they don't spend enough time doing fire prevention. I force them to do the fire prevention. We have weekly assignments. And they come kicking and screaming. We had an accountability meeting last night with about a dozen clients. And they had to have uh, their new clients. They had to have their organization chart done. They've had – many of them did it in class. But if they didn't do it in class, they had two weeks to get it finished. And I had guys like the like right before the call, like sending it in. Here it is. Here it is. You know. But they got it done. I'm like, by the way, how many years have you been putting this off? Fifteen. Well, you got it done. We got it done, and you know, by having one one deadline. It's just getting people to focus on the business instead of working in the business, getting them to focus on fire and chaos prevention instead of always firefighting and chaos fighting. You know, and being caught up in the craziness every single day. There's nothing complicated about it. It's just it's just lining it out and doing the work. You know, I spent the first 10 years in my business just going with what I had right in front of me. I didn't, I didn't reach out for mentorship, coaching. I didn't Google how to run a business. You know what I mean? And right. so at the end of those 10 years, and then I finally did join a elite business group, then I was like, oh, there's, like you said earlier, there's a name for this. There's names for all this right. stuff. Because I had just created a lot of it from scratch. And my previous, my, my partner throughout that 10 years and previous uh, boss didn't have anything like this in place. So I, basically it was my, like, I had to unfuck it by putting it right. on paper. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so that's what your, I did. Your, bo- your, boss, your boss's voice was coming out of your head. You did what he did. That's all you yeah. knew. And so I put everything on paper and I started developing training, SOPs, processes, and all that stuff. And uh, I didn't realize that wasn't natural for most business owners to do that, Mm -hmm. to go into that mode, basically to where they wanted everything laid out and organized. That was just, you know, what I thought was my OCD. And then then 10 years later, I joined these business groups and they're like, oh, yeah, here's EOS. (laughs) You know, here's the hierarchy chart. Here's, um, you know, task management and SOPs. Here's a flow chart, what that looks like. And I'm like. I have all this stuff, you know what I mean? Right, I didn't know right. it was called You're that, awake. you know? Right. And so, and then I discovered VAs. Oh my gosh. And so I have a SOP for every little piece of my business mm, so that anybody awesome. can come in and go step by step. So a hundred percent. And that's how you sell it. That's how you sell it right there. hundred percent believe in, in what you're talking about right here. And um, I love that my listeners are getting this from the fire hose today. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's awesome. So you just wrapped up a mastermind in Colorado Springs a couple of weeks ago. I'm guessing that's some of the clients yeah. that you were just talking about. Yep. And yep. Uh, hosted 20 entrepreneurs or so that wanted to scale their business. You know, from that mastermind, what do you feel like most of those entrepreneurs were missing? What's that one big ass problem that that everybody was kind of yep. bringing up? Well, the first thing I'll say is it's what, what, what it's not a factor of. It's not a problem with desire, ability, uh, you know, none of that stuff. They have the ability, they have the desire, they have the motivation. It's a process, and you've already touched on it. It's they focus on the wrong things. I can't tell you how many people go into business and they focus on getting the right desk, getting the right business cards, getting the perfect lamp, and all this stuff that nobody gives a shit about. Until the phone rings, until a customer walks in, nothing happens until something gets sold. And so people focus on the wrong things in business. 
I talked to a young guy yesterday. He just reached out to me through social media and said, Hey man, I'm starting a company. I got no money. I can't afford any coaching or consulting or whatever, but I, I just want to pick your brain. So we set up a phone call and uh, I'm like, well, what are you doing? He goes, I don't even know where to start, man. He goes, I got to do this. I got to do that. we got a website. He goes, he goes, all I did. So I went down to the home show and bought a booth and I, I set about 20 or 30 leads. I'm like, dude, that's all you got to do. Right? Now go run those leads and convert that to revenue and stay focused on, you know, attracting business. Honestly, you've probably seen this in your business. I've seen it a million times that the, the, the person, the company with the best product doesn't necessarily win. It's the person who's the best marketing person, the best sales organization. I tell people, I tell my team at this HVAC company, we're not in the heating and air conditioning business. We're in the sales and the marketing and the customer service business. And it happens to be furnace and air conditioners that we handle, that we manage, that we install. But we're in the sales and marketing business. And so I think a lot of times they get focused on the wrong things because they're in the whirlwind, because they're in the firefighting stage. Stephen Covey, who wrote the classic Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, was a very dear friend of mine, a mentor of mine. He endorsed my books. He was just a very generous guy. He passed away. It's been 10 years now. It's hard to believe. But, you know, in, in his book, The Seven Habits, he talks about uh, the, 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 the four quadrants of time. And there are things in your life that, that are urgent and important right? That's the ringing phone. That's the angry customer. That's the employee who just quit. It's urgent because it's happening right now. It's acting on you and it's important. It's a customer, right? But there's a whole bunch of other stuff in your business that's just as important, even more important, but it's not urgent because it's not acting on you, right? He called it uh, prevention, planning, you know, preparation, right? Fire prevention. And people get so hung up in what he called quadrant one, the firefighting, they don't have any time to spend time in quadrant two, which is fire prevention, planning, preparation, relationship, building, prevention, those things. And the key is to take in these entrepreneurs and you have to force them to do it. I force them to do it. I get them to be early on. I mean, listen, like you think we'd be begging them to come to this thing because they, they might spend some of these guys spent $40,000, you know, and it's like, but I don't beg them. Like if you don't commit, then you can't come. It's not about the 40 grand. It's about, You've got to come out here and you've got to make the commitment. This is, we're going to meet twice a month for a year and you're going to have assignments every two weeks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they've got to commit to that. But when they do, again, like the guy last night, just scampering to get this org chart finished, he had two weeks. And of course he didn't look at it till about an hour before the meeting probably. Right. But he got it done after 15 years of postponing, he got it done. Now we're going to move on to some sales training and, and, uh, and departmentalizing their financial statements. So it's just, it, it's people just get so caught up in the firefighting that they just, they don't know a way out. I got an email, a text last night from one of my clients and he said, man, I just want to thank you. Like he came to this thing, kicking it, his wife, especially because of the money, his wife runs the books and she came out and she was like, the first day she was like this, you know, like, what are we doing here? And by the second day she was crying and telling me how everything I did was biblically based and all this kind of stuff is, I love people just, uh, I don't know if it is or not, but to her, it was, and I'm just, I love how people have these, these, these moments of clarity, but he just, he goes, he goes, dude, you gave us hope. We've been at this 25 years and now we've got hope and they just see organization. They see the light at the end of the tunnel. And so I think it's just helping them get organized and get them focused on selling. You got to get focused on selling first. Mm-hmm. And it's such a, it's a, such a hard transition because, you know, 10, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, if you had someone that, let's just say, operated an auto shop, they wouldn't listen to anyone about their business that didn't operate an auto shop or know about right. cars. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. But what, what I see happening so much, and me, you know, my business, I, I've 
been a sales org for 12 years. So I sold for AT&T, ADT, all these uh, Fortune 10, Fortune 100 clients, yeah. right? Yep. And that's mainly door-to-door, right? And so I understood this right away because I was the sales org, right? But a lot of these, like, roofing companies and even, the, like you said, the AC company, any home service companies, they make this transition from being an AC company to being a sales and marketing company, from being a roofing company right. to being a sales and marketing company. Because at the end of the day, a lot yep. of them are ending up just subbing out to high quality contractors, you know? Yep. And, yep. and so as they make that evolution from being an actual AC business to being a sales and marketing business, they, they do, they need people like you to lay it out for them and show them how to execute. Yeah. And it, you know, uh, part, part of the, the call today, you and I were talking about a client of mine down in San Antonio, mm-hmm. and you know that client because you see them everywhere, yeah. right? They they are just brilliant marketers. Mm-hmm. And you know what? On on the heating and air conditioning side, they're probably average. They're probably no better than anybody else, mm-hmm. but they look better because they know how to position themselves and put that message out there. 100%. Yeah, they're they are killing it down here. And I love that they're one of your one of your clients. It makes so much so much sense. So the biggest issue facing the entrepreneurs is they're focusing on the wrong thing. And typically the wrong thing is the fires in the business and not the systems and processes in the business or the categorization of the financials. So, and, and and keeping in mind that, you know, the fires are always going to be there to some degree. Uh, the, The key is, so there's, there's two other quadrants, quadrants three and four, which are the quadrants of deception, the quadrants of waste. So what you got to do, we don't have time to get into that today, but you have to identify all the, everything you do every single day and everything you do will fit into one of those four quadrants. And you got to find the th- things that are in the quadrant of deception and the quadrant of waste and excess. And you have to stop doing those things because that's where you have to find time for the fire prevention. You can't stop fighting the fires. Those are your customers. That's cash flow. That's money coming in, right? That's keeping the lights on. So you can't start taking time out of there initially. So you got to go down here and find where you're wasting time deceptively or just obvious waste of time, too much time on Facebook or whatever. Find a couple hours a day there and block that time out into this quadrant two things that are that are not urgent, but very important planning, preparation, prevention and start working on that. It might be at night. It might be when you normally be watching television, but you have to start spending that time. And the idea being that the more time you spent uh, spend in fire prevention, that the fires become less and less frequent. Right. And, and, and the sanity part of your time starts taking over more of the time. There's fewer fires. There will always be some fires. I'm not foolish enough to know that we can always eliminate chaos because sometimes the nature of the business, heating and air conditioning business, for example, it's the nature of chaos. When it gets really hot and really cold, it goes crazy. Yeah. Right. But you can minimize that by having time, you know, building the processes to minimize the chaos. Absolutely. Especially during months like it is right now where it's, 60 degrees in Texas and it's really nice. Oh, <laughs> Nobody's using the air conditioner. Right. <laughs> the heating and air conditioning business, what's great weather for everybody else sucks for us. <laughs> right? It's getting cold here in Colorado. It was like 10 degrees last night. We're finally getting cold. So things will get, get popping here pretty quick. So I resonate with what you're saying because, you know, one of the, the best things I did when I joined that, that, that mastermind a couple of years ago was a time study. I broke up my whole day into 15 minute blocks and looked at, like you said, these things that are basically deceptively time wasters, you know? Mm-hmm. And so yep. I was able to cut out a lot of that stuff. And now I live and die by a calendar and I make sure everything's blocked out, even personal stuff yep. sometimes, especially if it's really important. And I think what it does for me, and then there's neurology behind this too, is even if I have this huge project, 
that I feel like, oh, I have to start working on and I can't move on to the next thing until it's done, I can break it up into maybe four blocks, one-hour blocks over the next two weeks. And then when right. I accomplish that one-hour block, there's a, a dopamine effect in the brain. Mm-hmm. And it feels good. Get, yeah, it feels good because you're accomplishing it. You're not accomplishing the big project that's going to take you four hours, but you are right. accomplishing a piece of it and you're being productive yeah. in, re- in respect to that. So I think the time-blocking thing has been been huge for me in in uh, capitalizing on that t- time management there. Yeah. It's funny because over the course of my speaking career, the last 15 or 16 years, I've spoken a couple of times at write, writers conferences, right? People that are trying to write a book. And it's amazing to me how many people like there's like got to be millions of people out there that have a book halfway finished or 80% finished, you know, and, and, and it's amazing how many people <laughs> and many of them have multiple, multiple have, have, you know, three or four that are partially done. Mm-hmm. And so people will ask me like, how do you write a book? You've written three books. How do you, how do you do that? And it's exactly what you just said, right? It's, it's like, you just, you just start writing. But what I do with all three of these books, and I've got a couple others that I'm working on when I'm writing, I'm writing like that time is blocked out. Mm-hmm. And for me, it sounds like you've done some writing yourself. I don't know about how it is for you. For me, it's the hardest work I ever do. Like it takes an extraordinary amount of concentration and focus. Like you can't like write for half an hour, then play with your kids and talk to your wife and then write for half an hour. Not for me. It's like, it takes extraordinary concentration because you have to have a stream of thought that may run through several hundred pages. Yes. You know, you can't just, you're not just thinking about it in this moment. It's like, how does this connect with every other chapter? And what I said, you know, three chapters ago, what I might say, you know, three chapters from now. I feel and so what I do, so much. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so, so what I've done and I've been fortunate to have some business success that makes this possible. So I'm not saying this is possible for everybody, but some version of it may be. So when I wrote my first book, the upside of fear, when I wrote the manuscript, I looked around and I read some books on how to write a book. I didn't know how to write a book but I read some books on how to do it. And basically what I learned is when you're go after you write something, go back and eliminate every prepositional phrase and it will be cleaner and make more sense. And just little things like that. So I'd go out there and I'm like, okay, I need about 60,000 words. That's what I figured about 200 pages for my first book. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to be out here for six weeks. I'm going to write for four weeks and I'm going to golf and hang out the beach for two weeks. But my rule was that I had to have 2000 words a day written before I left the condo, right? Typically I'll get up very early out there because the time change, depending on the time of year, it's either three to four hours earlier. So I might be up at three or 4 Mm a.m., right? Just because the time change between there and Colorado. So I'll start writing. And there were times I would have my 2,000 words done by eight or nine o'clock. There were other days I wouldn't have that 2,000 words done until four or five in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And there were some days that I read that 2,000 words back and it was brilliant. And there was other days it was shit but I would not get up until I got 2000 words done. And then at the end of the end of the 30 days, I had 60,000 words. Now there was a lot of editing I had to do and straightening things out, but I had the thing done from A to Z from the very beginning to the very end. And it's just a matter. It's exactly what you said, blocking it out. And I would have that dopamine effect every day. I got 2000 words done. I didn't have to have the whole book finished. I got 2000 words today. I can go play golf. Now I can relax for a while. You know, and, and that's, I didn't, until you said it, I never even thought about doing it that way. I mean, I've done it that way, but again, I didn't know there was a name for it, right. <laughs> I didn't know there's a real strategy for it, yeah. but it's brilliant because you get that feeling of success and accomplishment at all these milestones. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really, really good. But, it, and when you said it, it's like, that's exactly what I do when I'm writing. So straight from Weldon and Doug, 
if you have that big yeah. thing that you're sitting on because you know it's a big thing and it's going to take forever, just break it up yeah. into pieces and schedule those pieces today. That's going to be yeah. massive for a lot of people yeah. that are listening to the show. Awesome. So, you know, one of the last questions I have is what's next for you and your business? Where do you see this going long term? Yeah. So about uh, five years ago, I'm 59 now. So five years ago, I, I had built an online training platform for the heating and air conditioning industry. And I sold that for uh, millions of dollars. And like, I'm like, that's it. I, I got, you know, I did it. I've done some books. And I said, I'm going to take at least a year off and just see what it's like to do nothing. And so I did, and I couldn't do nothing. It's when actually, when I wrote consistency selling, I'm like, well, I got nothing else to do. I might as well write for a couple hours a day. So I wrote the book, but by the end of that year, it's like, like, I just, I I just can't sit still. So I started working in, taking on projects and different things. So the big thing I'm doing now is we're launching this profit paradigm, which is uh, a full on business development consulting, uh, process. It's a one-year program. And the guys that came out here to Colorado Springs recently, that was the first, the first three days as you spend three days with me, uh, we're kind of locked in a room and we get this, we get the whole plan laid out of what we're going to do. And then we meet every two weeks and then they have a platoon. They work with other, other members on the off weeks and I'm not talking to them, uh, but they can call me whenever they want. They've got my cell number. They can email me and call me whenever they want, but they don't have to call a lot because we typically I'll train them on something and they have two weeks to work on it. But if they have a question during those two weeks, they can give me a call and, you know, it's all good. So this profit uh, profit paradigm I'm really excited about. Uh, we're working on the website now to relaunch a section of the website to promote that. And I'm really excited about that. I also do a ton of work with a nonprofit out in California called the uh, Electric and Gas Industry Association. Uh, I'm working on a couple of different books and uh, – that's kind of it, man. Just staying busy. I don't travel like I used to. I was traveling 200,000 miles a year before COVID mm-hmm. and we completely changed our business. Like we were talking about earlier, yeah. we do so much digital stuff now and I love it. I still work all the time. My days start early. They go too late, but man, when I'm done, I go, I go upstairs instead of going to a hotel room and that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a game changer. That's massive. That's massive. Yeah. No, I yeah. love, I love the concept of the profit paradigm because, you know, and, and obviously being in the business networks I was, I ran into a lot of coaches, you know, and they kept telling me, you should coach, you should coach. And what I realized is I had a very niche, niche expertise, which was in building great sales teams, name of the podcast, right? And um, I didn't want to coach. I didn't, I didn't like the idea of month to month, you know, not really having this like concrete target in a short amount of time period. Because right. kind of going along with what you said about focus, when, you know, you knew you know, getting out of prison at 39, was it 39, right? Yeah. 39 years old, you knew you had half the time everybody else did. You know what I'm saying? So you were crazy focused. Same thing with the profit paradigm. They have one year to get everything they can out of this program. And so they have to be focused on the development and uh, productivity of it. And so I I, I did the same thing with my consulting offer. It's a 90-day deal. I come in, I audit your sales program, and then I'm out in 90 days but I'm like, we're dialed in every week. We're, we're doing something different every week to improve your sales program. And there's just something in that. I feel like obviously there's massive things happening in, you know, long-term coaching, you know, you're developing a yeah. relationship, mentorship, that type of stuff is, is, is amazing. But I've always been attracted to, you know, shorter time periods when it comes to yep. coaching businesses in general. 
Yeah. I like that 90 day framework because if I'm a small business owner, you know, it's, it's because the year is a long time. And it's funny because when I'm talking to people about joining, mm-hmm. you know, they, they're like, ah, a year. And I'm like, well, how long have you been, you know, fighting the fires? 15 yeah. years, 25 years. You know, Tony Robbins always says that we, we dramatically overestimate what we can accomplish in a week and we dramatically underestimate what we can accomplish in a year. So it just, it takes time. And for a sales, you know, you're, you're going after specifically the sales function. 90 days is plenty of time to get in, figure it out and make it better. You know, and I love that. Then you move on, you know, you're kind of like the hired gun of the, of the wild west. You know, you come in, you, you're the new sheriff in town for a little while, then you move on and go on about your business, you know? So that's cool stuff. Yeah. I, I got it from the movie uh, or the show, the HBO show house of lies. Oh yeah. Have you seen okay. that with, yeah. Uh, the, uh, Don Cheatham, John, Don Cheadle, Don Cheadle. Yeah, Cheadle. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, dude, that, that, you know, I, I think I watched that like probably 15 years ago and I didn't even know I was going to be in consulting someday, but it's a great idea. <laughs> I like how you laid it out. All right. So the last question I have is a bit of a deep one. Um, and the question is, cause I'm, I'm very interested in this subject. There's two subjects I'm interested, uh, legacy and neurology and, uh, legacy is a big one because I'm, most people in my family have never had one since Stephen F. Austin. So he's my fifth uncle, basically. He oh. founded Texas. And so mm-hmm. he's obviously got a massive legacy, right? Yeah. But since then, nobody's really done anything in between and never really focused on their, their legacy. So my question for you is, what does the legacy mean to you? And what legacy do you want to leave behind? Yeah. So there's there's really two. There's a personal, there's a professional uh, the, the, the personal is, is the family, you know, I've got, uh, I've got a daughter who's 18 and my son who's 30 and, you know, uh, and a wife, obviously, and just making sure they're proud of who, you know, who I was when I'm gone and, um, that there is uh, a tradition of success with these kids and, and for my wife personally, you know, it's funny, uh, when I read books from dead people, uh, I've got one right here. This is actually one of my favorites and I read from it almost every day. It's from James Allen. It's uh, an, about a four inches anthology of all his best essays. And I use it all the time in my coaching. I use it in my personal life. But when I read that stuff, like I always are like Napoleon Hill, like, you know, James Allen died a hundred years ago, you know, and it's like, I wonder if they thought when they were writing it, like people a hundred years later, are going to be reading my shit. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> or do they just write it? But it's funny so, because I think about that ever since I started writing, I'm like, you know, I'm going to be dead and gone. I wonder how long after I'm gone, people will still be picking up one of my books. Mm-hmm. And we've had amazing, uh, I've had books published in, in the, in the middle East, in the far East. And I get letters and comments from people. I've got a copy of the power of consistency in Hebrew, that I don't even know what it says. You know, I had uh, one of my neighbor's kid uh, is fluent in Hebrew and she was kind of told me what it said. And, and uh, it's like, you know, that's part of the legacy that people that I'll never meet or even understand their language will, will be reading these concepts, many of which were developed by a guy sitting in a prison cell, which is mind boggling to me. A lot of these concepts, I kind of figured out just seven years of sitting there when I started reading and studying and like, I could kind of explain it like this, or I could explain it like that, you know, and the fear process and, and the risk process and different models that I use. But I think that's the legacy, man, that, that I just hope that, you know, 50 years after I'm gone, 
hundred years, somebody picks up a, a copy of the power of consistency upside of fear. And they're like, wow, I never even heard about this dude, but this is such great stuff. Um, Stephen Covey, who was a friend of mine, I mentioned was a very devout Mormon. And he's like one of the grand, he was one of the grand poobahs in the whole Mormon church. And the Mormons are really, really good about, they write letters constantly. They journal and write letters constantly. And within their church, when they're counseling, like marriage counseling, talking to a couple, it's very, very common that the, the person, the bishop or whatever that's counseling them is reading from letters that his grandfather wrote 100 years ago or great-grandfather, right? They're very good about legacy, you know, that legacy and passing it down and through, through words. And I just think that's really, really, really cool, right? I think it's really, it, 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 you know, it matters, you know, that, that you write something and, and, and people do all the time now when I'm alive. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just curious. Like, I hope people down the road read that stuff and like, holy shit. And they, they Google you like, oh, this guy died 40 years ago. You know, like that's, that's would be pretty cool. And so to me, the legacy is the writing on the professional side. Yeah. And the, the impact that your books can have for hundreds of generations to come. Yeah. I mean, it's massive. You know, I I can think of another, another guy that was sitting in a prison cell a few times and his friends actually wrote letters about him. And it's the book I have on my desk, which is the Bible. Right. (laughs) Yep. You know, and so, you know, and that's going to be, you just gave me a great idea for a question moving forward is that what book is in reach for you? You know what I mean? Mm. And that could create a great subject to the piece of the podcast. That is, that, that is a great, I've got another one in reach out here, the optimist creed, right? That's another one. That's a, a regular the thing I love about both those books. And I have several others like that. Uh, you could just randomly go to it. Kind of like the Bible. You can randomly go to a, a page and put your finger down and you'll read something. that will be like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, wow. Right. I mean, you can read five or six words and something that's like, holy cow, that's crazy. Uh, yeah. I couldn't agree cool. more. That's honestly, the, you know, I'm a very structured Bible reader. Like this is the study I'm doing or whatever. My wife is very much that, though. Whenever she needs yeah. a word, she'll open it up, point to a section and then just read that section. And, and it always ends up giving yeah. her something that she needs. So what's also yeah about you is you can reach behind you and grab your own book so that's another. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know i don't spend I, I should spend more time reading those because sometimes people will come up to me and they'll say you know they'll talk about something in the book and i don't remember exactly like like i'll be like which book was that in mm-hmm. you know and i so but when you write them it's hard it's hard to read your own stuff oh my gosh i bet like <laughs> i think it's like maybe I, actors sometimes will say they never watch their own movies mm-hmm. uh it's it's hard to read your own stuff because you'll read something like, Oh, I could have said that so much better or, yeah, or that sounds yeah. corny or there, there every now and then I'm like, dang, that's pretty good. You know, like I was been, I must've been really dialed in that day. So we'll be, we'll be launching our hundred episode in a week. And wow. Uh, the Congratulations. First, I appreciate it. The first 10, I would, it was just like nails on a chalkboard. I was like, Oh my God, I sound so bad. And I'm not articulating, you know, the points that they're talking about correctly. And, and then after a while, I started critiquing myself and then working on going back to the uh, yeah. interview and, and working on those things that I critique myself on. And now it's just like a normal thing for me to listen to my episodes just to give myself yeah. constructive criticism. And so uh, it, gets, it gets better. And I imagine for you, it, it gets better too now that you're on your third book, writing your fourth. So yeah, awesome, yeah. Weldon. Well, in a very small amount of time, 48 minutes, you've brought a ton of value to the show. So I appreciate I you appreciate that. So, so much for that. If if one of our listeners wants to get one of your books or look at your Profit Paradigm program 
or yep. hire you as a public speaker, where's the best place for them to go? Uh, easiest place is weldonlong.com, W-E-L-D-O-N, weldonlong.com. Uh, Amazon, obviously, for the books and different things. Uh, but uh, the books on the website, too, links back to Amazon because it's just easier to let them deal with it. But uh, everything's right there on uh, on the website. Awesome. Well, we'll include all of that in the in the show notes. And, uh, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate you. Thanks for having me, brother. I appreciate it. Enjoy talking with you. All right. Let's get building. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Building Great Sales Teams. Be sure to execute on what you just heard and let's get building. As always, remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you consume podcasts. You can also head on over to buildinggreatsalesteams.com and sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date with everything that's going on with the podcast. See you next time.